Man, I hope you had a great holiday. Hope you had lots of good stuff to eat and time with family. Uh, it was sure a joy at our house. I appreciate the two brothers who have shared some special stuff this morning. One from Faith at Home and one from Connecting Groups. You know, it doesn't take a great deal of intelligence. You don't have to have a theological degree. You just have to decide to do something. You just have to decide to do it. This morning, I hope you brought your Bibles. If you have your Bibles or your smartphone with a Bible app on it, would you open, please, to John 8, the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John. Start in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, fourth book in the New Testament, chapter 8. We're going to start reading at verse 1. Now, when you get there, you're going to find a footnote that says that the most reliable ancient manuscripts do not have this story in them. Some of the manuscripts tried to place the story in a different place in the narrative. I don't know about all of that, but this is what I do know. This story is not the invention of man. This story has the stamp of Jesus all over it. It has the stamp of the divine. And so even though the most reliable manuscripts do not include it, I think it has much to say to us this morning. Let's read together John 8, beginning at verse 1. A familiar story. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group. Now, picture that in your mind. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. But go now and leave your life of sin. It was early in the morning. The dew still probably on the grass. The morning birds singing their songs. The town beginning to awaken people getting up and getting breakfast and getting around. But a crowd had already gathered at the temple. The excitement around this young Nazarene was indescribable. And already as the city is beginning to awaken, many had already gathered because they wanted to hear him teach. And the Bible says he took the rabbi's posture in teaching. He sat down and began to teach them. We have no idea what the subject was. We have no idea what he was saying to them. But in the midst of this early morning, fresh part of the day, he's interrupted by something that is ugly and crass and crude. There's a mob coming, sandals clopping across the cobblestones, and and they're pushing, shoving, dragging, and put in front of him this woman who had literally been pulled from the bed of her sinfulness. I want you to imagine in your mind what she looked like as she stood there. Jerked on her clothes as they pulled her from her lover. Hair disheveled in her face. The look of shame, embarrassment, etched in her face. Tears streaking her cheeks, head bowed in shame. The spokesman for the group says, Jesus, teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. My first response is, oh, did you now? Where is the guy? Where's the guy? Because my understanding is it takes two. Where's the guy? His absence is is as conspicuous to me as her presence is. And they're trying to put him on the horns of a dilemma they don't think he can solve. Verse 6 tells us, This wasn't about her. This wasn't about her sin. This wasn't about punishing her. This wasn't about what she had done. This was about trying to get him. She was just a tool. They were just manipulating her in order to get to him. This this smells of a setup. The dilemma they think they've got him on that he can't answer. In the law, Moses says we ought to stone such women. There were three sins that the Israelites were supposed to use for stoning 
those who were guilty of them. Murder, idolatry, adultery. If it could be proven you were guilty of any of those, the sentence was clear, it was immediate, and it was lethal. Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? Now, if he says stoner, he suddenly puts himself at odds with Rome because in the culture in which he lived, Roman rule, they were forbidden to carry out capital punishment. If he says let her go, then he stands in opposition to Moses and the law. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus doesn't respond. He stoops down and he starts to write in the dirt of the temple courts. And the Bible says they kept asking. The tenses of the verb suggest they continued that rat-a-tat-tat of the question, come on, Jesus, come on, Jesus, you're not getting out of this one. What do you say? Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? And they just kept on pressing him. Jesus is still writing with his finger on the ground. Lots of speculation through the years. What was he writing? We don't know. It doesn't matter. But after a while, He straightens himself. He says, let the one among you who's without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And he just stooped back down and started writing again. Silence must have been indescribable. As the weight of those words began to sink in, it started with the oldest and the wisest. And one by one, they walked away. Everyone. I don't know how many was in the mob that brought her to him. I don't know if it was five. I don't know if it was eight. I don't know if it was ten, fifteen. I don't know how many came. But the Bible says they all left. I take it that his audience also left. The ones he had been teaching, perhaps they got caught up in the moment. That whenever they said she was caught in the act of adultery, perhaps they joined in. Adulteress. The hiss of the serpent, you can hear it in the word, adulterous. And through the crowd, the mumbles began to happen. Maybe they joined in, but in the end, they all left, all of them. Now can you imagine the look on her face? Her demeanor has changed. It's gone from one of shame, embarrassment, and guilt 
to one of surprise and shock and awe as she looks around at what is happening. And she's looking down on this man who's still stooped, writing with his finger in the dirt. She's standing there over him. She's looking around at what just took place. And the look on her face has got to say, what, what just happened here? I don't know how long he doodled in the dirt. I don't know how long he wrote. But the Bible says he straightened himself and looked at her face to face. And no two greater opposites ever looked at each other. A man, a woman, one without sin, one who just minutes earlier had been pulled from her bed of sin. Son of God, adulteress. One who could condemn. One who deserved condemnation. Face to face, they stood there for a moment and Jesus finally asked her the question, woman, it's a, it's a tender word, it's the same word he used of his mother at the cross. Woman, where are they? <laughs> Our modern vernacular lady, where'd they all go? Where's everybody? Did no one stay to bring accusation against you? I can almost envision her steal a look over her shoulders. No, no one, Lord, no one. I don't know, maybe he, maybe he dropped his voice a little bit almost above a whisper. I don't know. But I just envision the Savior saying to her, neither do I. Neither do I. Now go and leave your life of sin. Good story. Amen. There's so many things this story brings to us. Let me just share a couple of them with you and then we're done, okay? Here's the first. It seems Jesus brings hope into every situation. Some wise sage said, you can live 40 days without food. You can live... Four days without water, you can live four minutes without air, but you can't live four seconds without hope. If you were to have interviewed her as they drug her into the temple area and they had been asking her, what do you think your future holds? You know what she would have said to you? I won't see tomorrow. I won't see the sunset today. She knew what the law said. She knew what the consequence of her guilt was. And if you would have said to her, do you have any hope of living through this day? She would have looked at you and said, absolutely not. No one could have dreamed the scenario as it unfolds. But when she left that temple area that day, her life 
was different and her heart was filled with hope. Marcia and I grew up in Corpus Christi and in our family home, we lived in a little, little house, a little wooden house on Cott Street, 4103 Cott Street. And when you walk in the front door, just to the right as you walk through the door, there was a, a bookshelf that mom and dad chose to make into a trophy case. A trophy case. There were trophies there that my dad had collected through the years or that my brother or me had won playing golf tournaments or baseball or something. There were trophies there, you know. Perhaps you've got a similar place in your house where the trophies sit. My dad had a hole-in-one trophy there. Back in the day, if you made a hole-in-one, you would send your golf ball in to the golf ball company, and they would send you some sort of trophy. He had made his hole-in-one with a Titleist. So he sent the ball in, and they sent back a trophy with the ball mounted on it, and it gave the date when he made his hole-in-one, and it sat there on the trophy case. We tend to want to remember our successes, don't we? That's why we keep trophies. We don't want to remember our failures and our mistakes and our burdens and our sins, or do we? We kind of keep those close to the vest, but we take them with us, don't we? We take them with us. I like the way one author put it. He said, Our mistakes, our sins, our burdens become like rocks that we pick up and carry with us as reminders of our failures. And we carry them in our hands for a while, kind of unhidden from the rest. And as our hands begin to fill, as we do life and we make more mistakes and more burdens and they become more rocks, we we start stuffing them in our pockets. And when our pockets get full, then we get a bigger sack and we, we put the rocks in there and we throw it over our shoulder and we carry it with us everywhere we go. And as we do life longer and longer, make more mistakes, have greater burdens, Sin greater and more rocks go in the sack against where we can't carry it anymore. So we just drag it with us everywhere we go. And you know what? There are probably a few who drug some in here this morning. Oh, we, we'll go to therapist. And that's a good thing. We open up the sack and pour it all out on the floor, his or her floor. And we analyze each one of them. And we talk about them. And all that's good. And it's helpful. And she's nice and he's understanding. And, but at the end of the session, the problem is you've got to put all those rocks back in the sack. And you've got to drag it with you as you go out. And you drag that sack of reminders wherever you go all the time, and the question becomes, listen, is there any place in the world that I can get set free from that sack full of failures and mistakes and sin and guilt? And the answer is yes. His name is Jesus Christ, and he will cut that sack off of you and take it himself so you don't have to carry it anymore. 
He brings into your hopelessness hope that you don't have to carry those failures with you anymore. Church said. Here's a second thing about this story that I, I think it's important. Jesus' forgiveness is complete. Max Lucado is a great storyteller. Max has been preaching at Oak Hills in San Antonio for many years. Marsha's dad and mom were members there. Our dad was an elder there at Oak Hills for a while, and he and Max played golf together quite regularly. Max tells the story that when his girl, he got three girls to him, when his, when his daughter Jenna was very small, she had written with a crayon on the wall. Max had picked her up. This wasn't the first time that had happened. They had warned her. And Max picked her up and sat her in his lap in a chair. And he said, Jenna, what does daddy typically do on occasions like this where you have done what we've told you not to do over and over again? What does daddy typically do? And she said, spank me. And he said, Jenna, what do you think daddy ought to do in this situation? She looked up and said, love me. Church, I don't know you, but I don't know about you, but I'm with Jenna. The sin may not have been adultery, but listen, every single one of us stands guilty before a righteous Savior. Every one of us. I don't need someone to tell me I'm guilty. I know it. I don't need someone to remind me of the fact that I am a sinner. I understand it. That I deserve condemnation? No question. No question. But I got to tell you something. I don't want God to do what I deserve. I want God to do what Jenna said. I want him to just love me. I want him to forgive me. And that day in the temple court, she found an unexpected ally in Jesus. He didn't condone what she did. He said to her, you leave here and don't do that again. And I think when she left, hope beating in her heart she never expected, forgiveness flowing from her soul, she left the presence of the one who had the right to condemn, but who instead said to her, neither do I condemn you. You understand you're guilty? You need somebody to put their bony finger in your chest and say, you know what you've done? Listen, forgive me. God, forgive me, but I've been there. I have blistered people and confronted them in their sin and felt so self-righteous and smug. How unlike God. His response, neither do I condemn you. 
but go now and leave your life of sin. And church, I think one of these days we're going to meet this sweet lady on the streets of glory. We're going to know her when we see her. I promise you, we're going to know her. Talking to her, she'd probably say, you know, I, I, I never expected this. And we're all going to be able to look at her and say, neither did I. Church said, let's pray together. God, our Father, thank you for a Savior who cares, who understands. A Savior who has every right to condemn but who wants more than anything to save us. God, I pray for those who drug a sack full of memories with them this morning, that they drag with them everywhere burdens of guilt and sin and mistakes and failures. God, I pray that this morning they'll have the courage and the faith to let you take that sack from them. They might experience freedom for the first time. God, I pray you draw them to yourself. And I pray it in the name of Jesus. And the church said,